Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from the head of an international consumer cosmetics brand on the different types of product development testing and the critical importance of those tests. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, a show to learn from top leaders in product development, prototyping, manufacturing, product selling, and everything in between. Hosted by Kevin Macko, the leading expert on product development for physical product startups. Sponsored by PTC's two best-in-class 3D CAD product development software solutions, Onshape and Creo. And produced by Macko Design and Invent, the original firm providing world-class consumer product development services tailored specifically to startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Ryan Margolin to the show. Ryan is the CEO of Professional Hair Labs, a cosmetic company with dozens of products with tens of millions of dollars in sales all over the world. He has spent 25 years in the consumer product sales and marketing industry and is also a TEDx speaker. Today, Ryan is going to share some valuable knowledge from vendor startups and small manufacturers on what the foundation of smart consumer product testing is, what the different types of product testing are, and at which stages in development they occur, and how to leverage a pilot manufacturing run to ensure a strong brand alignment with your customers. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. Much appreciated. And I look forward to the conversation. Well, really excited to talk to you today about testing, especially testing and product development specific to consumer products. It's an incredibly important part of the product development process. And especially for a hardware startup, it's often an overlooked category, certainly for the importance that it deserves. A lot of the time, the whole testing in the prototyping and development phase is overlooked, but it is so critical to the success, especially of a new product brand or an emerging new product, which is most of the case for a new hardware startup. Before we get into all that, first of all, congratulations. I know you're expanding like crazy. I believe you said you went from like a 10,000 square foot factory to 50,000 plus expanding all over the world, essentially expanding your brands. You're looking to triple up the growth of the actual amount of products you have in your portfolio up to 10 times within just a few years. That's incredible growth for a consumer product brand. Yeah, it is. And look, we've never done anything in half measures. And for us, it's really about setting challenges that are going to push us and push the team in specific to really push the boundaries of what they think they're capable of doing. Um, But like everything, as part of that, it has to be a process and there has to be solid systems in place to allow that quick expansion without things breaking. And so much of that, of course, comes back to the testing, which we'll learn about (laughs) those processes today. Before we get into all of that about testing your prototypes and testing your product before going to market, first, and foremost, give us a brief background of the 25 years in the consumer product industry that got you to where you are today. From the very first time I had a job, it was predominantly in sales and marketing. So that's kind of been my experience growing up. And then in 2009, moved into the familiar business. Uh, my dad had a company and uh, things weren't going as well as he wanted to. Opportunities aligned at the time. There was the global crash 2008. So it was a chance to try something new. I kind of was able to have the freedom to sharpen my tools and and really apply some of my knowledge that I've learned over those years to the company. 18 months after I started with the company, we, we were able to triple revenue. My two brothers joined the company at that point as well. And we've just been pushing year on year. And within the last, say, five or six years, we've started to experience exponential growth, which taught us a whole lot, but also pushed us into areas of the industry that we didn't really plan on being in, but we realized using the same principles and methodologies in which we built our brand, we could actually apply them to a larger kind of array of 
cosmetics and make our mark in, in a bigger industry. So that, that's what led us to where we are now. We started in a very niche part of the industry, which was a non-surgical hair replacement. So we manufacture cosmetic bonding adhesives for individuals who wear hair systems. They've lost hair through hereditary means or you know health reasons, and they wear wigs or hair systems. And our products are designed to help retain the correct healthy levels of pH on the scalp and also allow them from a perspective of holding down the hair system or the wig to be able to attach it to their scalp and, and adhesive that is safe for skin use. And we were the pretty much the first company in the market to, to bring that solution, a water-based solution to the marketplace. Amazing. And now you're into dozens of products in the cosmetic space. We are, yeah, year on year. Look, we were adding more products to our, to our portfolio. It's been a really big learning uh, process over the last few years in specific. Obviously, a big part of cosmetics is quality of product and a lot of regulatory testing and reliability and obviously brand image behind the actual product. So testing is critically important, not just obviously for cosmetic products, but any consumer product, anything that you plan to sell in volume to customers needs to go through a certain set of tests. And that's really what I wanted to pick your brain about today, because you've got a pretty in-depth process that's been honed over many years on really how to ensure that you have a great product on the market, which obviously represents the quality of your brand. So let's kick it off. What is the starting point to thinking about designing the testing processes for a new product? I think it's about looking for the type of solution that you want to provide to the marketplace. And look, I'm a firm believer that if you can take a complex process and break it down to a simple solution, you've probably won the battle over 90% of the competition out there. So that's really where we start. We look at it in two ways. We either look at a solution that the marketplace needs, or is there any you know kind of on-topic trends that are happening or coming up over the coming years? We will add those types of products into our own portfolio. If we have a customer that comes to us looking for certain solutions, typically what we do is we automatically just go to what we refer to as a marketing brief. And that's really the whole scope of, of the project. Do they know, you know who they're trying to target, what they want their brand to be, what they want the product to be, the features that they might want? It's really an in-depth look into who they're trying to be as a brand or who they're trying to target with the product. So that for us is always the starting point. If it's our own product, we eventually get to that marketing brief, but we have certain sets of processes we follow before we get to that point. I think the biggest takeaway for a startup is know that your essentially marketing brief is what you're planning to sell to the world. Like what is your brand promise via your product? What is your product going to do? What is it going to do to help the world? And that's the basis of testing because testing has to come back to a theory or a hypothesis or in bigger terms, a purpose. Well, what is the purpose of your product, right? Otherwise, you're just testing blankly without understanding what the actual needs of the test should show and what you're actually testing for, right? And it seems obvious. It's worth it, especially for a hardware startup. As you're developing, physically developing the product, whether it's a consumer product without electronics or whether it's packed full of electronics or whether it's got consumer packaged goods elements to it, chemical formulations, whatever the case is, write down what these core promises are because that's a foundation to your test. You'll have your CAD and your Gerber files and your prototypes and all these other sorts of great things, but that's the design and engineering. That's not necessarily what you're promising to the world. And that is really the foundation. And this is what I guess you guys, Ryan, call it your marketing brief. Once you've figured it out, you flushed out, you've got the idea, you've got the product development, you've got now the marketing brief. So you can start benchmarking your tests against that marketing brief. Absolutely. And look, I think the whole statement that you make there of just having a collective vision of what your product or your promise stands for is really the starting point for everything because you 
you know, most products that provide a really solid solution to a marketplace are not going to speak to everybody. So if you go in, say, I'm going to create, you know, for look, in our case, a moisturizer for everyone, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be going up against the two and $3 moisturizers that you can pick off the shelf. And you know what, there's no real competitive space for that because you're just in a race to the bottom. But if you look to provide a solution that can literally benefit somebody's life or somebody's professional performance, that to me is really where the most impact is to be made. I like that. You're looking at a very specific niche. And we always talk about it in the hardware development industry is starting very focused with your core offering, not trying to be everything to everybody, not with your first launch, no. right? That could be the evolution of the product brand and part of the vision that you have for how the product might look in five or 10 years. But your first job is to get your core offering, your core innovation, invention, your benefit or your solution to a problem solved yes. so that you can create your first version of a product. And that's why when you look at your promise of this first product, as you call the marketing brief, make sure it is very specific to your product and who specifically you're planning to start selling to with their core version, your MVP of that product. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, naturally, as you have that put together, then it brings you into the whole next phase of, okay, well, now that we know all this, where do we start? That's really where the fun begins, because that's where the the development side comes in and you start to test. For us, I can speak to in relation to, say, ingredients. You start to test different ingredients, you know, core based functions of a whole range of different ingredients. But then there's new innovative technologies that come on the market. You can start to experiment with them and you can start to put together a really find fresh new formula for either yourself or a customer that can give them, I suppose, their own unique selling points that even they might not have thought of at the beginning, but through your testing, these have come evident and you start to share those. And if you actually see a product come to life right before your eyes, it's quite an enjoyable process. Well, this brings us to a really good point is once you've figured out what your marketing brief is and you're in development of your product, you need to figure out what types of testing are relevant. And let's talk about those. I actually want to go over the three core types of tests. Now, there's lots of different tests that you can do, especially in every different industry and in every different type of product. There's very niche and specialized tests, but there's really kind of three main tests that I want to go through today, primarily being compliance, reliability, and customer. Let's start with the first because they're kind of in order in that direction. Not always, but it's good to understand those three and be thinking about them as you're getting through your product development into testing, going into production. So let's start with compliance testing. Yeah. So from a compliance perspective, naturally, as a cosmetic manufacturer like we are, you would really start with looking at the key ingredients that you can actually use to build your base formula that are compliant with the regulations. Now, typically we adhere to EU regulations because they have the highest amount of banned ingredients in the world. So we know if we're adhering to their regulations, we're pretty much covered. So that's kind of where it starts. And when we put the base formula together, depending on the type of product, whether it's say a shampoo, a moisturizer, a conditioner, there's certain pH levels and certain viscosities that we need to kind of adhere to, which is pretty standard across the industry. So that's the key point. You build your base formula. And once you get all of those right, that kind of moves you into the next phase. At the end of the day, that's the simple part of the process to start with. You kind of move into the you know stability and challenge testing then, which is a little bit more in-depth and also harder to overcome. Absolutely. So as a hardware startup, look at your industry and look at the different types of compliance testing that's required. But know that compliance testing is really a baseline. And I like that you highlighted that, Ryan. There's a certain amount of compliance that you just have to hit. But beyond that, there's a certain amount of reliability or parts of your brand promise that you want to achieve. Keep in mind that for the vast majority of cases, no matter what your consumer product is, the compliance is not generally considered best in class. 
Compliance yes. is really a baseline. It's kind of a minimum quality that you have to hit in order to adhere to the regulatory bodies. Yep. But beyond that, whatever your brand promise might be, and I'm sure everybody has certain elements, especially in hardware, you never really want to sacrifice quality. You can sacrifice the number of features, but yep. you really don't want to be sacrificing the quality of those features. And that's not from a compliance perspective. That's from a user perspective. Users have a lot stricter, basically, analysis than do potentially compliance bodies because, again, compliance is just a baseline. So I like how you mentioned it in, in your industry, Ryan. You start with kind of making sure that the base compliance is fulfilled, and then you yeah. start looking to make sure that it actually hits brand promises or longevity that matches essentially your offering or your promise to your customers. 100%. And, you know, look, I'm a firm believer is that you never get a second chance to make a first impression. The compliance being the baseline, it's really the next phase of that process that really is going to be what separates you from the competition. For us as a cosmetic manufacturer, you know, it's challenge and stability. So we basically need to know, okay, when we put these products in different climate chambers uh, at different temperatures over a period of time, are these going to hold up? Are they going to separate? You know, are they emulsified correctly? Are the oils separating from the waters? Is there mold developing in the formulas? And this is really the hardest part in my eyes of developing a product because getting that balance right, the smallest of percentage of adjustments could mean the difference between a product holding stable and a product not holding stable. And once you get that part right, you're quite far along the way of making a very good product because you have to remember, majority of brands in the world, they actually don't move out of their own country. They manufacture and they sell in their own country, which means, you know, the manufacturers that they use in the countries are very used to making products that are very specific. But when you're talking about building a global brand, you're dealing with the whole world. So it's a much bigger challenge to manufacture products with that type of reliability. Yeah, that's amazing, Ryan, especially if you're putting yourself as a startup to that type of a benchmark and thinking about the fact that you may sell globally. Yeah. Most of the time, hardware startups are primarily focused at their own country or a very specific target country if, if it's a regionally based product. However, know that the global marketplace is huge and the global marketplace is constantly shrinking. It's easier yeah. to access other markets. The more that you can actually think about global, the easier it'll be to get to, let's say, either your highest paying customers or your quickest adoption customers, or maybe just your easiest going or your most resilient customers. Who knows what it might be? But there's lots of reasons why looking global might be a value. So if you put yourself to a global standard out of the gate, especially on quality, yeah. that can really lead you to some interesting opportunities on the sales side down the road. It does. And it forces you to think differently. And it allows you to realize that for what is quite not a lot more effort, you can actually position yourself as a potential global competitor in the marketplace. This is why I always say to people when they're looking at their brand, it's like, you know, look, you know, I have a company in the state of Florida, I have a company in New York, and I want to sell to some local beauty supply stores. And I'm like, the global marketplace is more accessible now than it's ever been. So you don't need to think so small. It's like, yeah, listen, start with that focus in mind. But keep in mind that for a little more effort at the very beginning, you can position your product as a global product with potential for a global product and don't sell yourself short. I love it. So let's assume that you've done the marketing brief. Now you've built a great product. You've done your compliance testing to make sure that you're legally allowed to sell your product. You've then gone above and beyond to do all of the testing to ensure the reliability that matches, let's say, your global brand promise. The final yeah. step here 
is the actual customer testing and how that kind of ties into either a short production run, pilot production run. Ryan, talk a bit about that customer testing and why that's the very critical final testing phase to the emergence of a successful product brand. I think it's vital because when you're excited, when you're building a brand, right? Or when you're building a product, first thing you want to do is like, I want to show people what we're doing and I want to get it into their hands and I want them to test it. And this is going to be amazing. But, you know, our answer to that is always absolutely not. You're going to hold on. We're recommending you hold on. It's vitally important that when you get the product as reliable as it can be, it's too much of a risk to go into mass production at that point. Because the first thing you want to do when you know it works is you want to get it out there as quickly as possible. But I think there's more merit in doing a pilot run where you do you manufacture a low amount of products and you have your testing demographic of customers that you know or that you have or that are interested in your product. Try to get as many of them to pay for it as possible because I'm a believer is that and when you pay, you pay attention. So if you get something free as a sample, it's highly likely that that product is going to end up in a drawer or on a counter somewhere, and you're not going to be able to get the really you know nitty gritty feedback that you need to either realize that your product is ready or whether you need to make changes. So I think that pilot production run is vitally important. And I don't think it's a process anyone should really skip. I really appreciate that advice because we're a huge proponent of short run production. And that's essentially a pilot run where you're doing maybe just 50 or 100 or 200 units of whatever your thing is, whether it's houseware, tools, electronics, cosmetics, you name it. It's getting a small amount of product out to the market. Even better, getting folks to buy it. Now, this can be in the form of pre-sales or a crowdfunding or an Indiegogo campaign on a trade show floor, or even just in your local neighborhood, whatever it takes to sell your first hundred units. I love how you mentioned getting customers to pay for it so that they're truly invested, not just on the fact that it really gets them more emotionally involved in the product and gives you better and more honest feedback, but that also gives you a tremendous amount of ammunition to the sales of your product or investment raising for your product as well. If you can proven that you've done a small amount of sales efforts, let's say you went to one trade show, you sold out all 200 units that you made in short production run to paying customers. Then what we're talking about here today is the testing phase. And that's really where you take it from doing a good job to best in class. So you're going to take those 200 customers. And I've always said, especially for a new hardware brand or new hardware product, do as much as you can to get as close of information as you can from that customer. Call them, email them, do whatever it takes to try and get feedback on the product. You'll probably get at least half of them giving you some amount of response, whether it's just an email form or an actual email itself or a phone call, or whatever else. They will respond. Use those folks to do essentially your final round of testing. This is your customer testing, and this is your most critical testing before you're cutting the hard tools and really paying the big bucks to scale up into a 1,000 or 10,000 unit plus real production yes. run. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the key separator between the companies that will have longevity in the industry and companies who will continue to struggle because they will make costly mistakes that will not allow them to continually to reinvest. They'll actually be paying to fix their mistakes from just not doing enough testing and getting enough information. That's amazing. I like how you mentioned the paying for the mistakes too, because it's been mentioned on the show a few times that as you go further into development and then into sales and then into bigger sales, your mistakes grow. So the earlier that you can fix those mistakes, 
the exponentially less expensive they will be. So even if you come all the way back to just even prototyping, even pre-testing before compliance, like just testing your design, testing your prototypes, then testing for compliance, and then testing for your brand promises, being best in class, and then eventually testing with the customer. Look at that as a ballooning formula. The further you go down those testing algorithms, the worse it gets. Now, as you get into full production to big business buyers, et cetera, those are your biggest mistakes. So if you've cut corners throughout the process getting there, just know that you're making it exponentially more costly, not just on a dollar for dollar basis, but the indirect costs of that could be astronomical or detrimental. And you ruin your relationships and brand reputation as well. You know, to me, if you don't have those intact, then your your company doesn't have a lifespan. It just won't because people will try the product and then they will never buy from you again. Right. Powerful words. Much appreciated for you being on the show today and giving your words of wisdom. Thanks very much, Kevin. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. And take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast. If you found some value in the show, please do us a huge favor and leave us a quick five-star review. If you have any questions, guest suggestions, or anything else, feel free to reach out to us anytime at our email, podcast at macodesign.com. That's podcast at macodesign.com. This show is hosted by Kevin Macko, North America's leading expert on product development for physical product startups. Huge thanks to our sponsors, PTC, and their two best-in-class 3D CAD product development software solutions, Onshape and Creo, and Maco Design and Invent, the original firm providing world-class consumer product development services tailored specifically to startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Thanks for joining, and see you next time.